Have you ever been led by someone who inspires you to step out of your comfort zone, who creates a safe environment to stretch expectations and share ideas, who draws optimal performance out of you, somehow adds magic to the mundane, and guides you on a journey that leads to a much more interesting destination than you could ever have imagined? That's great leadership. That's creative leadership. Welcome to The Water Cooler Effect, a podcast that explores ideas and issues affecting people in the workplace. I'm your host, Claire Carver-Dias. This is the first episode in a two-part series on creative leadership with none other than renowned Olympic coach, Sheila Croxon. As head coach, Sheila guided the Canadian national synchronized swimming team to a bronze medal finish at the 2000 Olympic Games and double gold at the 1999 Pan American Games. In 1996, she served as assistant coach, leading the team to silver in Atlanta. She is a sought after speaker and also a consultant to numerous sport organizations across Canada and around the globe. I spoke with Sheila at her Toronto home. Here's our discussion. Thanks for joining us, Sheila. Um, so let's jump right into this and define creative leadership. You've earned a reputation as one of the top coaches in the world, and many people describe you as a visionary and someone who's highly creative as a leader. How would you define creative leadership? I think there are likely many ways to define creative leadership, but to me, creative leadership is about encouraging curiosity and creating an environment which allows people to open their minds and engage with possibility, and often possibility that they may not have considered. I heard a quote once that I've always remembered that says, discovery is seeing what everyone has seen and thinking what nobody has thought. Hmm. Sounds simple, but it's true. Everything begins with an idea. Yeah, that's, I love that quote. And it, and it makes me think of this one client who's a leader in a, in a really large organization. And, and he would see possibility in things where other people might say, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He would take the approach of, no, we can, I see possibility in this. I can make it better. I can improve on this. And he was constantly, I don't know if he'd use the word creative, but now I see that really he was a creative leader. He would um, really make space for people to improve things. So can everyone exercise creative leadership or is it something you're just born with? That's a really good question. In my view, I think some people gravitate more naturally to leadership and creative endeavors, but definitely feel that leadership can be developed. And it's often a result of being put into a position and then being asked or required to lead. So I think you learn by experience through Mm -hmm. making mistakes, by observing others. You know, I I feel so blessed to have had many wonderful mentors in my life. I think mentors are around us all the time. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. But I also know that some of my biggest learnings came from working in situations where I was exposed to challenging leaders. For example, before I became a head coach, I worked 
uh, in a few situations under a challenging leader. And I feel that in these situations, I learn the most about what not to do, what doesn't work. Uh, it required more of me in certain areas. And these uh, experiences helped to shape and define my leadership philosophy. Hmm. So, so I guess you as a leader or, you know, your advice for other leaders, how do you actually cultivate that creativity in, in yourself or in themselves? I think creativity results from being devoted to being a life learner. So to always remaining curious, you know, the more you continue to learn and grow yourself, the more capacity you have to help those around you. I always say to um, coaches who I'm mentoring, you need to teach what you need to learn most. You know, I did some really, it reminds me, I did some really important um, personal leadership development work with a man by the name of Bob Cam in the two years leading into the Sydney Olympics. And Bob works with CEOs and senior managers, largely in the automobile industry. And the focus of his work is to help people lead more authentic lives by being more connected to their feelings and emotions. So my brother Michael, who is in the car industry, was sending his managers over a period of time to California to do the leadership training with Bob. So I asked if I could attend. And this was at a time in my life where demands um, as a mom of young children and my career had peaked at the same time. So I really needed um, some support with managing stress and work-life balance. I learned so much uh, through the work with Bob that I was able to share with the team and I even ended up having Bob do similar work with the athletes. So I think as leaders, we continually need to nurture our own creative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and so I was a part of that team that met with Bob and, and I, when I reflect on that time, I think, you know, he was so good at sort of setting the stage for people to feel comfortable to step out of their comfort zone, to make themselves vulnerable. And it also struck me that the sessions we had with him and, and the sessions that we as swimmers had with you as our coach, where we were most creative, were often when we, ha- we gave space and time to try stuff out and to make mistakes and it was okay. Um, I think that safety and that kind of setting the stage are hugely important in fostering creativity. I think, you know, just what you said, Claire, um, about stepping out of your comfort zone, you hit on a really important point. I think it's important to step out of your comfort zone on a regular basis. You know, you have to do it afraid and Mm -hmm. you have to encourage this practice in yourself and in those you work with. So anytime I feel I've moved forward in my life, it's been when I've pushed the edge, taken a leap and put myself in a situation where I wasn't comfortable. That's really how you grow. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I immediately think about um, the work situation, corporate situations where creativity is fostered, even if, again, that word is not used. Um, And I think of often it's, um, let's say, in a meeting setting, it's where a leader understands that people have different styles and different comfort levels. So there's as simple as there's extroverts and introverts. And sometimes some people need more prep. Uh, to in order to go into a situation where they're with other people and they can they can feel free to express themselves. Um, so one of the things, pieces of advice I might give a listener um, is if you are going into a session where you want to promote creativity, you might want to give the group a chance to prepare ahead of time. So 
let them know a day before, here's what we're doing, here's maybe some questions that we're going to be covering. Um, for those that need the time, they'll take it, and then you'll get the most out of them the next day. Yeah, that's really that's really good advice. There's a few other things, I think, that have become real key pillars in my coaching and leadership philosophy that I adopted after listening to a speaker at a sport leadership conference early on in my career, and I thought those might be important to share. Um, this gentleman's name was Tor Ole Reimjord, and he was the head of Norwegian Winter Olympic Sport. Hmm. So the tiny country of Norway uh, is always amongst the top winter nations. And these, these things that he touched on have helped me to stay connected to creativity in my work, and I, I always pass them on to everyone I work with. So the first thing is, um, he talked about the challenge in anything is to bring new eyes to old problems every single day. So it kind of loops back to what you said at the beginning about the leader who was always asking people to look at things and say, what can we do better? But you know, things do become very repetitive, mm -hmm. any work. So when you really think about trying to bring new eyes every single day, it really opens up possibility and creativity. Second thing is that quality equals infinity. So you think of infinity being the figure eight on its side. So you have that image, whereas quantity has limits. At some point, you can't work any more hours, you can't do any more repetitions in the pool, um, but you can always improve the quality of your work. So just asking yourself, how can I bring more quality to my work today really helps cultivate creativity and creative thought. And lastly, we must work to find the magic in repetition. And he, he talked about you know, how future elite sport will require an infinite number of repetitions to reach the highest level. And the difference between those who make it to the top and don't will be the ones who can really find the magic in that repetition because the, the fundamental skills don't change, mm -hmm. really. There are some times where our ideas are good and there are some times where our ideas are worth discarding. Um, so at what point do you make the judgment call of giving up on a creative concept? Hmm. Well, in my experience, ideas take a while to fully form. So when you have a thought or an idea that presents itself to you, uh, you spend time kind of mulling it over and it grows and more ideas and possibilities start emerging. This is generally a sign or an indicator that, you know, the idea could be great. So I think great ideas have limitless possibilities. So when you get to the point of wanting to share your idea with someone else, this is also an important sort of telling moment. So when you share your idea, if ideas start coming to them that build on your idea, this is also a great indication of potential. So when the idea can appeal to anyone, regardless of language or culture, you know it's a universal idea. So I can one story comes to mind here. Um, I think leading into Atlanta, we had a a program that was we thought was a, a good idea and it was I mean we had a uh, an original musical score so um, just when you say program you mean sort a synchronized swimming routine yes okay. yes so it was our free program mm -hmm. and it, the musical score was uh, original an original composition and we had the Canadian national anthem weaved into the music 
So for us as a Canadian team, um, it had huge meaning mm -hmm. and for a Canadian audience had had huge meaning. But we think about it on the Olympic stage, the national anthem of Canada would not resonate with, you know, the entire population. Right. Uh, but in Sydney, um, I think we had a great idea because the, uh, the program uh, featured the 18 different Olympic sports mm -hmm. and um, it, you know, so anyone could um, identify with the images of the sports and also the music, which was uh, Chariots of Fire, which is a well-known Olympic story and anyone in the world could relate to it. So I think Atlanta was a good idea, but I would consider Sydney a great idea because of that universal appeal. It's an interesting, it's a timeless idea too. So that, um, I know you talk as a coach, you often talk and maybe you'll mention it a little later, I hope, around the having, the, having a sense of imagery, a strong sense of imagery. And that routine, even though the sport has sort of evolved and changed and it looks very different now than it used to in um, 2000, when I show an audience that routine that we did of the Olympic sports, they, even if they've never seen synchronized swimming before, they point at things and say, oh, well, there's a bicycle, there's a cyclist, there's um, a high jumper, there's, you know, they can see all these different uh, sports in it and they, they might know nothing about the sport itself, synchronized swimming. And that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Connects and, and with and a you lot know, of people. Just, you just, when you talk about the imagery, I just, another story came to mind that I think some, is really important to mention here. I can remember um, many years ago sitting in a, a meeting with the entire coaching community uh, in our country and we were talking about creativity and what makes a routine memorable. So people were throwing out ideas and all the top coaches were in the room and one coach who was maybe in her first or second year of development stuck up her hand and said, you know, all of these routines that you're talking about that are memorable, they have a strong sense of imagery. And actually that one comment, I don't know if everyone sort of latched onto it the way I did, but that one comment propelled my creativity in the next chapter of my coaching career because I always remembered that. And so it, was, it became sort of a foundation of looking at things for me. But the story, you know, the point that I want to underscore is that this person was probably the least experienced person in the room, but that comment uh, came from her. So hmm. ideas can come from anyone, and we just yeah. need to be open to receiving them. Yeah, and that there's two things I hear in that. The first one is that you know you described a creative leader as sort of a lifelong learner, mm -hmm. and I love that even you know maybe the least powerful person in the room brought forth an idea and you were listening. And so I think, so that's probably a theme in there too, that creative leaders really listen. The other thing I love is, um, or I'm trying to make this conversion of strong imagery to a corporate setting. And maybe it's, maybe what I'm, maybe the transferable lesson there is um, that leaders need to look for a way to connect with a large, the large group of people in whatever way works for their corporation. So it might not be a strong sense of imagery, but maybe it's a connection with the corporate goals. Maybe it's a, an activity or a, a quality of their culture that they really need to tie into to connect with the larger group. So as a leader, maybe it's important to look at how do I 
make what I'm trying to do relatable to the greatest number of people. What do you see as a block to creativity? Um, I think if you, you know, you're starting down a path um, and you start to see more obstacles than possibilities, if the creative process is slow and becomes stagnant, people lose their connection to an idea, you need to listen to that. But that's creative leadership too, in a sense, right? Recognizing that. So a pessimist complains about the wind, an optimist expects the wind to change, and a leader adjusts the sails. Hmm. So we, uh, I think we're always adjusting the sails as leaders, okay? Um, so we did experience, uh, you know, this sort of creative block leading into Atlanta as we were down the path in terms of writing a, a routine. And um, we stopped and we completely changed course and developed a new program. Hmm. So it, it, was, it was a big risk because we were running out of time. But what we found was that, you know, as soon as we made that decision, it just opened up a floodgate of possibility and you could just see the shift in energy. Yeah. Huh. I, so you, as a leader, as a creative leader and someone that fosters creativity in their setting, it sounds like you really need to watch for those moments where it's stagnant. Mm -hmm. You were talking about that 1% growth. So mm -hmm. was that a time where you felt like growth just wasn't happening? Yes. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we could really sense that people were losing connection to the idea and we just didn't really know where it was going. We weren't seeing those possibilities. Right. Um, and I think, like I said, that's just such, a, such an indicator, you know, uh, when people start to have more and more ideas and they're getting engaged and when that stops or you're really having to search or dig too deeply for things, yeah. I think it's time to really reevaluate. Wow. And the other thing I hear there too is the courage. It must, especially, you know, you're heading towards a really high stakes goal, a medal at the Olympics on a public stage, and you're taking a pretty bold risk to say, let's reroute, let's try something else. Um, I can imagine that that change was hard for some people. So how did you, how did you kind of sh shepherd people through that difficult change? Yeah, that's true. You know, I, and I can remember that there was um, some people who were, you know, very kind of resistant to the change because they were worried about, you know, the fact that we didn't have that much time. So I think it was that the vision of what the end product could be was really, really strong. And so again, all those things that we've touched on, like the more you discuss it, the more you share it, the more people add into it, the more it grows. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, people started to get excited about it. And there was a, you know, shift in the group, when, especially when you have some of your key leaders in the group, you know, getting excited, then it sort of pulls other people along as well. So, you know, I think, you know, if you're in charge of making those kind of decisions and you really believe it, then it's your job to really articulate it and explain it in such a way that, um, people can really buy into it and they can just, you know, get excited about it. So we just stuck with it and it just, you know, and the process just became so much easier from that point on. It was obvious that it was the right choice. Yeah. I, I probably, I, I think of times in my synchronized swimming career with you where we were trying something new and there were people that just went along with it. And then there were people that needed a bit more convincing. And one of the 
pivotal things I found, and it would be applicable in a business setting as well, is celebrating the early wins. So you try some just crazy new lift mm -hmm. in a synchronized swimming mm -hmm. uh, routine, and it's really difficult, and it falls a thousand times, and then you do a performance, let's say, and it works, mm -hmm. and it works well, and people comment on it. Taking the time to celebrate that can, can kind of pull those, not the naysayers, but the the slow to adopt change along with you. Um, I'm curious too, what, what, uh, what things do you see uh, as blocks to creativity? Back to that point again, what kind of things just get in the way of creativity? Well, I think um, perfectionism blocks creativity for sure. And I know for me, I'm gonna be really honest here that this is the biggest challenge I've had to overcome. And I need to always be mindful to keep it in balance. So one of my um, mentors, Dr. Peter Jensen, always says, when you aim for perfection, you discover it's a moving target. Hmm. So you'll never reach perfection, and you have to accept that. So you need to spend as much time focused on taking your strengths to the next level as you do working on the areas of need. I think to balance that out, that's something I've, I've learned. Because most often, it's your strengths that will end up being what separates you or your team from the rest and where you might find true creativity. So as a leader, you, you must um, have a very clear vision of what you're working toward, but you can't let the fact that you are a long way from it frustrate you or your creativity will get blocked. That brings us to the end of the first episode in our two-part series on creative leadership. In the next episode, we will continue our conversation with Olympic coach Sheila Croxon. I'm Claire Carver-Dias, and you've been listening to The Water Cooler Effect.